0: Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brunts Christofferson. We're just going to get into the big news immediately. Sebastian's table potentially returning to Lincoln. Brunts, I received no less than 37 gifts from you in about four minutes, all of them of some sort of gymnastics dancing routine.
1: Uh, and also John Papucha celebrating a missed well, extra point in a uh, Florida the, bowl game, yes. The routine. Yes. Uh, Lots of excitement here, assuming that it's actually coming back. And if it's, um, like I also texted you, if it's just some really big lead on for like one day thing, places are going to burn.
0: I don't know if you want that on the podcast, but we can go back there.
1: Legally, not really. (laughs) Is it the Brussels sprouts that you're most excited about? The Brussels sprouts are nice. They've got good drinks. Lots of good things. It's, a, it's not a sandwich, um, which puts it above most Lincoln eateries these days,
0: I think. Now, BC had discovered that uh, tapas was actually a line in a song uh, and then
2: determined yeah. that it wouldn't work, so they changed it. Do you remember which song it was? Ain't no party like a tapas party because the tapas party don't stop. Exactly. Are you just trying to get me to speak rap again like yeah. I did a few <laughs> weeks the ago? The amount of people that hit me up over
0: that... That informed me that it was the highlight of their their experience.
2: Ain't no party like a gangsta's party. Because a gangsta's party don't stop. Those are the lyrics, right? Yeah. The, the, what they were edited to after they decided tapas didn't work for the song yeah, for they, some reason. They made it a little edgier. They're like, yeah, that's not going to play with our audience. <laughs> I don't know. Which is a mistake, because tapas parties are really good parties. <laughs> well, yeah. They can get a little expensive, though. I can. If you, if you really go in. I like that place, too, though. Wasn't the video, it was pretty dramatic, wasn't it? It was like kind of like a 40-second video. with. It looked like, like
1: somebody was like either cleaning out their garage or like rummaging through a pirate ship, one of the two. Uh-huh. It could have been both. I don't know.
2: But that's all there is. That's all we're using to say that it's coming back?
1: Yeah. I, I was trying to use my amateur video forensic knowledge to break
2: down what was actually going on, but I, I didn't get very far yeah the same same chef or same people own honest abes is that correct yes okay well the ground up restaurant group they know how to do stuff All mm-hmm.
0: all right well we should we <laughs> should move on quickly to the other big item before we jump into uh, nebraska sports bc and i would like to formally congratulate you and the denver broncos on signing case keenum great quarterback great guy just an all-around terrific person Clearly, the right person to take Vance Joseph and the Broncos to new heights.
1: Big balls, too, from what you guys were saying. It's we either, we li- either literal or figurative
0: from from Mike Zimmer on it. It hasn't been determined whether that was just a, a statement of speech or a statement of fact.
1: Yeah. Um, if I, I as I texted both of you last night, also as I was freaking out about um, the restaurant coming back, was uh, "Hello, darkness, my old friend." Um, Feels like eight and eight next year. Hmm. It's like putty at Arby's.
2: <laughs> Feels like eight and eight. I don't know. I I like Case a little bit more than the table here. I think. I think he can get you to ten and six. Are you guys ready for the four car pileup that is
1: going to be the AFC West next year? Though. It's going to be like the Big Twelve was in conference basketball this year, just like yeah everybody just looking really average and somehow the narrative emerges that it's a really tough division.
0: I don't know how they make it work financially, but it seems like Sue has to be an Oakland Raider, right? I mean, I mean given that they're moving to Vegas, given that uh, he's, he's pretty high on Vegas from my understandings of his business dealings, it, it makes a lot of sense. And then he, he just seems like he's, his reputation has pushed him into being an Oakland Raider. Or soon-to-be Vegas Raider.
1: Do the Raiders really have that reputation anymore? Like, I feel like they're kind of soft. Like, <laughs> I feel like the like the fans, like, yeah, you'll get stabbed in the parking lot. Like, they've got more of a fearsome
2: mm-hmm.
1: reputation than, say,
2: like, the team. Those guys who wear the spiky shoulder pads are all actually really sensitive guys who, like, <laughs> do stage theater on Tuesdays is what you're saying? Uh, that's not what I'm saying.
1: I here's here's a Raiders story for you. So covered a few Raiders games back in the day. I think I've told you this story. The they were playing the Rams, and this woman was wearing like this forty year old woman's wearing like an Eric Dickerson jersey, walking from the train to the stadium, and this guy in the spiked shoulder pads, yeah. like face painted. He was wearing platform kiss shoes, like big boots just followed this woman for probably like a half mile in these platform boots just yelling at her about how much Eric Dickerson sucked. <laughs> it was like the most random thing I think I'd ever seen. You really didn't like Eric Dickerson? No. Hmm. So that's that's why I it think seemed, that perhaps the that's where I'm coming from there.
2: Seems unnecessary.
1: All right. Well, <laughs> we'll move that on from the
0: Raiders. Eric that story Dickerson. sucked. I
1: thought it was okay. Yeah. Sue.
0: So, Sebastian's table, Case Keenum, anything I missed in that. Uh, well, you guys
1: are apparently going to get uh, Kirk Cousins. We don't know that, that like. to be certain. <laughs>
2: Schaefer thinks you're trying to jinx. He oh, is. Well, I was, and yes. now it's – You've accepted yeah. the inevitability. Uh, he's still working on a jinx over there. Inevitability, that's a tough Look, one I know what say.
0: Brunt's is like when there's no hitters going on for teams in the AL West. So. That's true. I, <laughs> I understand – You know where I know I I know where he goes with these things, so I'm not not accepting any congratulatory texts or anything from him. I'm
1: like that guy in the platform boots, just trying to screw it up for you.
0: Pretty much. So uh, we'll we'll jump into Nebraska football now, though. We'll we'll go straight into it, and we'll lead off with this: what newcomer? do you anticipate hearing the most about when you talk to these coaches here in the next couple days from their their time through the first few weeks of strength and conditioning and all of that, or when you jump into it after the first practice? Newcomer? Yeah. So somebody – I mean, it could be a transfer. So you have Breon Dixon, Noah Vedral. It could be the junior college guys like Will Honus or Greg Bell. It could be – the incoming freshmen, McGriff and Martinez and all of those. I mean, you got a lot of choices.
2: I would say uh, Will Honus is going to be one of the popular figures of spring. It sounds like uh, – well, I mean, he's already been called like mini Barrett Rude, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, by the staff themselves. And it sounds like he's just a guy who puts his head down and goes and everybody thinks, oh, he's pretty impressive.
0: So Travis Fisher actually called him a ghost face killer. So yeah, I mean, there there is that to add into being Mini Barrett Root. I don't know if those are on the even <laughs> spectrum, on the nickname parallel kind of thing there.
1: Or... I I was gonna say Honus too. I mean, and, and oh, they'll sorry, but no, that's fine. And what they'll also tell you is that you're you can you can't get two words out of him, but right. and then whatever they're gonna say after that.
2: Well, a different answer could be uh, I think Mike Williams has kind of made an impression on people from what – I mean, you just pick up stuff right now here and there, but it sounds like he's put on some muscle in the weight room and just, like, really – you know, he has an interesting story. Like, he took a chance on himself and his route to get to Nebraska in the first place, and so a guy who's, you know, gambled on himself the way he has – I I just think he's got a lot of motivation that I wouldn't be surprised if if he makes kind of a statement.
0: Yeah, and and I actually was going back and listening to some old audio the other day, and I'd forgotten that Troy Walters compared where he was at as a a freshman or sophomore to where Mike Williams is right now, mm-hmm. and thinks that Mike Williams is far better physically, uh, and. I mean, you're talking about Troy Walters won the Bullettnikov. I mean,
2: that's a takeaway here: is Mike Williams is going to win the Bolitnikoff. Exactly. That was that was. <laughs> if think. you take anything from this podcast today, take that.
0: I think that's where where Troy Walters wanted to go with it is mm-hmm. that Mike Williams is going to be a, the the big
2: award winner out of that class. Future Bullettnikov award winner. That's nah, that's too bad. That's too long for a headline because that would work well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you, can, you? In the internet, you can drop down to the second deck. Oh, okay. Yeah. So
1: yep, who do you got?
0: Yeah, who you got? Uh, I wrote about this on Monday. I mean, Greg Bell is going to be someone that I think a lot of people will be curious about, that running game in particular, where he fits in terms of is he immediately going to kind of come in and, and take over? Is he going to be working alongside Jalen Bradley? I mean... People are going to want to know what those touches and, and what those reps look like, and I don't know if we're going to have a real great answer even once you get through the spring game because they're just what we saw at UCF and what we saw from Frost at UCF is it's going to be hard to determine if somebody's going to get the lion's share of the, the carries. But Greg Bell is going to be really interesting. And then the guy that you know people might scoff at this, but I'll be really curious. You got a freshman kicker in Barrett Pickering. I mean, is he going to immediately be able to prove to this staff that he was worth taking as a as a scholarship guy. That's a lot of pressure, uh, and and I'll be curious, you know, if he is able to impress people early on because I I think with with Cole Fromm there mm, for there, Burke, there's no given that Pickering's
2: going to be the guy. Yep, Cole Fromm, uh, by the way, uh, wore number ninety at Burke uh, because of Alex Henry. Really fun fact. Hmm. Yeah, that's why he kind of got
1: into kicking. Didn't he have like a Pretty impressive trick shot video, too. Am I remembering that correctly? I remember that when he uh, walked on, that that was making the rounds. That's a, I'm, I'm, a part of me that, like, yeah, that's great. You can kick a 60-yarder, but let's see you hit a trash can from 45 yards. Like, that's more of a yeah, shows skill knocks to knocks you over a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. That gets me going on kicker videos. Bruce doesn't
0: care if it goes through the uprights. Yeah. He just wants to see a trash can
1: get
2: yeah. hit. So you'd like it if they put like maybe something behind the goal post. That's what they should do. Yeah. Or like a golf cart
1: drive something across the s- the screen and they have to kick it kick that's it at like the goal like an cart. XFL idea. Mhm. Yeah. Should pitch it to Vince. Yeah. What about what about Adrian Martinez? We haven't even mentioned him yet and there's a guy that's pretty much in the mix for a starting quarterback spot. Oh, he'll
0: be he'll be asked about a lot. I don't know. And maybe I'm just overthinking this. I kind of wonder if, like, Mario Verduzco and Scott Frost just aren't going to talk about him a lot. Like, even if they get asked, it's going to be real general in their answers as to avoid, like, really trying to overhype or overstate. Or even if he's struggling, you know, talk too much about his struggles. Because they, I don't know, I mean, I would assume that Frost understands as well as anyone that position in this fishbowl what that can do to a frenzied crowd.
1: So he's just going to go the Bo Pelini route and say he's a good football player. Wouldn't surprise me. Would it surprise you? No, not at all.
2: One thing about this staff though, I guess in the past, this is somewhat media related, but also interesting. They've, they've made freshmen like available Mm -hmm. to the media and stuff like that. And they haven't really hidden that, you know, it, in the past, here it's been you had to play in a game and all this stuff before you ever talked. I don't know if that's going to be the case this off season, actually, which would be kind of interesting. Would be good for us if that happens that way. But uh, that it also kind of tells you something about their mentality. Like we're we're not going to hide shield these guys, you know. We're that they're going to have a chance to play right away, and we'll we'll put them out there in all these different facets of being a Husker player. I would say that Martinez, if they
1: did put him up front in front of media, would do quite well. Like Remarkably poised. Mm -hmm. Talks like he's about 35. Um, So, I mean, he would be able to handle it. But, I mean, it's too bad that – it's probably better for him that practices aren't going to be open to media because I feel like there's going to be some rust that he still has to kick off and there would be hot takes out the wazoo. From,
0: From the Nebraska media? Never.
1: Never.
2: One of my favorite jokes um, was about another Martinez that we used to have waiting. When we were waiting for practice, and I think you were in on this with me sometimes, where we would, Taylor Martinez was obviously rough with the media, and it was you know, tough spitting out words and all this stuff, but we kind of had this idea that maybe he was just conducting a social experiment <laughs> the entire time, and then actually he was just seeing how we all reacted to kind of an awkward interviewee, and that he was gonna write a thesis paper about it when it was all said and done. You know what? He ended up like making an app and stuff like that. So he did. In, a, in a way, he I I think what we were speculating on, there was there was some kernel of truth to it. He's a realtor now too, right? Isn't yeah. That...
0: They buy houses for cash, if I recall correctly, from the website. It featured numerous photos of his career at Nebraska. <laughs> I keep waiting for him to pop up on like HD I would watch that show. No doubt about it. It'd be terrific.
2: House hunters with
0: houses for cash. That's the name.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I, got, I got a question for you guys. Fire away. Um, okay, Mo, Barry, and Mick Stoltenberg did interviews f- with our site, and they, they talked about accountability a lot and how it's so different. And I know how that goes around here because people roll their eyes. They're like, okay, it's the culture's better. It's always better every year, blah, blah, blah um what do you think about that right now though when you hear that are you still skeptical as always like yeah or or do you buy into it because this is such a a change that's going on I mean I'm
0: always skeptical I'm always skeptical of the off-season conversations about team chemistry and camaraderie and and all of those things and so I would be skeptical about this too but at the same time, I think it's good that they're saying it. Like if that, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but it, if, if they're saying it, then it's it's something that at least is coming up, that, or they feel it, and it might not be like a tangible thing that you can actually quantify, you know, and and you're not going to have hard data that this means anything. But if they can feel it, then maybe there's at least that element of the truth to it so uh, i i'm glad that they're they're talking about it because i think it's probably good for the the program as a whole as to what it means in terms of on the field production and success and off the field chemistry and and the ability to for guys to work and get things done and for for people like mick stoltenberg to push and make sure the other guys in his room are making the gains they need to make that's the kind of thing that you kind of chart throughout the year and you get lucky, people open up
2: and they talk about it. Yeah. Uh, what stuck out to me about those interviews, it, well, one, I was surprised, Stoltenberg said they're way more hands-on with the nutritional stuff, which would surprise me in this day and age that any weight program worth its salt was letting that slide at all, if that was the case with the previous staff. I can't say that for sure, but Stoltenberg acted like there was an improved emphasis on the nutritional part that goes with that. And also, the way they talked about how Duval explains the why of what they're doing so well both Mo and Mick said that that he's really good about this is why we're doing this lift and this is why it translates to football and guys can really see it easily and I have to think that's a big help you know when you're grinding through it where you can you see like exactly how that's going to benefit you and it doesn't seem so distant
1: well it's a trust thing right
2: Mm -hmm. like that's
1: a big thing with like the weight staff and players is you know being able to trust them and I mean, Duvall's basically the first point of contact for these guys with the staff. So, I mean, that's good to hear. I I still kind of roll my eyes a little bit at the accountability stuff because it's, you know, you you don't know. I mean, you you really don't. I mean, last year, you know, this time of year we we're hearing about you know how. Bob Diaco was holding everybody accountable and the difference And you know, I I I think there's definitely a honeymoon period on stuff like that. But, you know, you find out pretty quickly in September and October how quick or how accountable guys really were. Um, But the nutrition part of it is kind of interesting though because, you know, you would think on a place like Nebraska with all of the resources that they have, nutritionists, like the fact that everything is available there, that it's something that needs to be reemphasized. But that's something he did, I think, pretty, Duval did pretty well at UCF, was mm-hmm. he took over all that and, you know, really kind of making sure that guys were eating three meals at the
2: facility yeah. plus, you know, the sleep thing too. It's more about – Making it happen, like it's maybe. I guess what they I got out of what they were saying is that stuff has been there for the guys to take advantage of, but there was there was where the lack of accountability was. Like even with stuff with like nutrition and stuff, like people would still do their own thing, and there was really no consequence for it. And perhaps perhaps that's changing. We shall see. What else did you kind of pick or take away from those
0: guys when you got a chance to talk to them, Brad?
2: Um, I do believe that there are a few guys who really believe that for the team to be successful, there are players in the locker room who have to be willing to sometimes just call guys out. And both Mick and Mo Berry acknowledge that's a tough place to get to, like in your career where you feel comfortable that you can do that. But I thought it was interesting. I think Mo Berry said it's not just about leading. It's about guys being willing to follow. And I think that's one of the biggest parts of if they're going to change the culture there. Is you've got to build it where you get this group of guys who maybe you aren't the vocal one in the bunch or in the weight room. But if someone tells you you're not doing it right. If somebody like Mick Stoltenberg comes to you and says you can do this better. You don't take it personally. You don't go cry about it. You don't make it a thing or a rift. You accept that this guy wants the best for me i do have to push myself better um and you got to be able to follow and and i i think there's probably been a disconnect there um in the last few years of guys being able to do that or feel they could do that without it causing some beef and they need to somehow find a way that that's not a problem
0: did you did you sense excitement from those guys when you, you talk to them i know that seems like a well duh question but you're talking about a couple veteran guys. Spring football isn't exactly fun for a lot of people, and they generally,
2: the older you get, the less you look forward to it. No, I, th- I think they are, and I I almost should have put the audio up with Mo Berry. Sometimes I think like that at, at some point when you hear it's just how somebody says it, you know, like it and it reads a certain way. But Muhammad Barry. Um, when you actually hear the words coming out of his mouth, he really believes in like the talent they have. And he, I think thinks things are with Scott Frost are going to be a lot better. I mean, it just, the way he talks about this, this staff and the way they operate and, you know, Zach Duvall called all those guys in um, and one by one and asked them what was wrong here. I mean, they, they, they did stuff like that where they got their chance to speak about what, what they saw as some problems and, what hasn't worked and um, that sort of stuff, that interesting behind the scenes stuff, I guess, is what sticks out to me. But I do think both those guys are are pretty pumped, and especially a guy like Mick, who's a Nebraska kid and a senior. He said, "I'm so glad I have a redemption season," as he put it. You know, it it would have stunk if that was it, and you went four and eight, and you never could play again here.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, did did they get into what they said was wrong?
2: what they well, I mean, Mick said um, accountability. He, he said that every things were just allowed to slide, and it was in all areas basically is what he came away with. So um, and I think you could see some of the examples of that. I mean, even with what happened to Nate Gary a couple of years back, that's one of your captains and he doesn't get academically eligible for the bowl game, you know, we could at the time he could be like, well, it's just the music city bowl, whatever. You know, but that's one of your captains and he can't play because he didn't do what he had to do. I mean that, and then you had one of your captains when you're you know basically flipping fans off or whatever on what literally or on the internet. I mean, th- there's been some examples where just as you think back, you're like, yeah, this it was a little loose, you know, where stuff. You know, maybe Alex Lewis shouldn't have been a captain after that. You mm-hmm. know, but yet he was for the rest of the season. Stuff like that. It all kind of adds up. All right. Well, any other thoughts we have football-wise? I don't think so. We'll
1: get a whole deluge, deluge of information tomorrow with Scott Frost press conference. But nothing, nothing I've got. Yeah, it's
2: a weird schedule because there's the presser, there's the practice Friday, then there's the whole week off. But uh, we'll have a lot of stuff from tomorrow to filter out throughout the week to get us back to the when they take the field again.
1: Yes.
0: Well, do you want to talk about the good news from the weekend or the bad news from the weekend?
1: There was good news.
0: The Nebraska baseball won some games. They did. All right, we'll go with that. You seem excited to talk about it. Well, they well that doubleheader I think was one of the best Saturdays of your life if I understood the text correctly.
1: Yes. Thirteen thirteen runs in, in one inning, twenty two in a game the first day of or first game of a doubleheader. Those are never good things. Uh you know, if you're covering it, if you're playing in it, I'm sure it's fine. I think everybody that was in a Nebraska uniform got in that game. They even let me throw an inning, which was kind of fun. What'd you use? What's your mix? Oh, it's just change ups. Just lots and lots of change ups and
0: you Can it, if it's all change ups, can't they? I mean, isn't that just a fastball then?
1: Well it's varying degrees of that. Okay. So it's like slow and then slower. And then you have fa- an ethos? A what? An ethos? You don't
0: know what an ethos is? What's what's an ethos? Alright, we'll get the stats department uh, you're gonna want to watch one of these and I want your on air reaction to it. Okay.
1: So. Well, how am I gonna do that and also talk All right. about it? Well baseball? you talk about the baseball team, <laughs> I'll research the ethos. Okay. So they uh, got back to Winning ways, I guess. Uh, three and one against Cal Poly, who uh, was very overmatched from a pitching point of view. Um, you know, at Nebraska's offense have been struggling. They obviously uh, took advantage of Cal Poly's pitching staff to uh, great success, but you had guys like Angelo Altavilla finally get going. Uh, Zach Rapinski, I think, is a guy that has earned playing time. Um, with his performances the last two weekends at second base. So that's been nice to see. But the uh, the annual spring tradition of Northern Colorado coming to Lincoln mm. for two is today and tomorrow. Uh, and then Northwestern State, the former employer of Dave Van Horn, comes in for the weekend. So, um, you know, the, it feels like this team is going to be white-knuckling through the entire season with their pitching staff. But, I mean, when you jump on teams like – if they're able to jump on teams like they did with Cal Poly, that's uh, will make things a little bit easier. Yeah, they had a. They lost the first game, though, right? Right, and and that was the the weird thing, or not weird thing, but I, I think this is going to be something that's going to pop up more where, you know, the the guys they brought into that game were pretty shaky just because they don't normally pitch in those situations, mm-hmm. but they're going to have to this year. They had three errors and and just really collapsed in a way that Nebraska hasn't typically done in the late innings under Darren Erstad. So I think they kind of had a little bit of a come-to-Jesus conversation in left field after that game. Yeah, I wondered about that. Yeah. Well, then Luis Alvarado comes in and throws seven shutout innings the next day, which I think kind of settled everybody Mm -hmm. down and didn't hurt. What do you make of him?
0: You've seen him – this is the first time you've seen him pitch, right?
1: uh was well, as a, a, as a starter, starter yeah no i i think i mean he threw 115 pitches which he'd never done before he didn't really have his best stuff but i mean he's 63 hits the low 90s um you know has good breaking stuff when it's there he didn't have his breaking stuff in that game and still was pretty effective so um you know if he can give him 6 7 innings on friday night that would go a long way towards helping out that bullpen, which I, I just think is going to be a little mm-hmm. beleaguered for most of the season.
2: I didn't think you had your best stuff either, but you still threw a scoreless eighth, left two on there. I thought that was, the way I you did. worked out of that. I, I
1: pitched, pitched my way out of that jam. Yeah. But, uh,
2: I thought that leadoff walk was going to haunt,
1: but it didn't. <laughs> I, I did appreciate that uh, there was – I think I hinted at this last week that there might be a little bit of bad blood between these two teams. Um, based on their experience last year in California and true to form, Cal Poly had two guys get thrown out of the games various games this week, including one guy, the guy who I assumed would who I tried to mix it up with Angelo Altavilla last year. He got run for arguing balls and strikes.
2: I don't know why I think this, but I do. It feels like it like a baseball team from Cal Poly would have at least like four to five guys who would like to really mix it up in a barroom brawl. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like my. I don't know. It, that's what I think of first.
1: Yeah, that's fair.
2: I don't know why, but.
1: <laughs> All right. Did you get the link? I did. Oh, sorry.
2: The stats department. Is this the ball that. Is this a ball? No, it's a pitch. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about it either. I don't know about it either. And I have the MLB TV package.
0: Hold on, stats department now turning
2: its computer so Brian can see. Okay, it's good. This is good podcast. Yeah, this is great radio. So what you
0: Darvish is going to do here is he's throwing a pitch to Adam LaRoche. Okay, and it goes fifty nine miles an hour. <laughs> so it's about uh, thirty nine or thirty yeah. miles per hour slower than Darvish's change up hmm. at times. So it's just a super super slow
2: pitch. Felt, my, like he, felt like he got a good strike zone there too, but um, my, my Oh, there's a lot of movement on that ball. <laughs> my changeup
1: didn't have that kind of movement on it.
2: I am not surprised. You know, LaRoche. Uh, it's more of a split. Seemed pretty impressed by it there. Uh, I mean, imagine being a yeah.
0: You're are a major league hitter. Darvish throws in the mid 90s. His changeup is like high 80s. He's got a slider, a curve, and then all of a sudden you're seeing a 59 mile an hour pitch that goes from. The left of the batter's box, all the way to the right. Mm. This is a really good pitch. I, I thought Brunch would have this in an arsenal. No, I got nothing. Terrible. And you have varying degrees of seventy-one mile an hour changeups.
1: Yep. How far? How fast do you think you could throw a ball? Mm, I bet I could. I bet I could get around seventy. Really? Yeah. I don't even know if I can touch sixty anymore, which is so sad. Actually, I probably I probably couldn't hit seventy. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I, like, how fast do you, did you? Well, I threw ninety-two in high school, <laughs> <laughs> but now yeah, the Omaha how, North did, how did you do that during soccer season, though? Well, two sports. It was a controversy. You didn't read about it in the papers. It was a controversy about playing you two sports going at one. You back and forth. Yeah, and golf also.
1: You were the rare seven-sport athlete. Did you change your
0: name? Did they have, like, a different name set up, or did you were just so confident? It's stuff you... I didn't
2: expect to come up on a podcast, and I think I'd like to wait a couple <laughs> more years before we feel safe right. revealing the stuff we did to get me eligible. No, I could probably throw, like, 55. That's what I think. That's what it, I think it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be, ahead, be, it yeah. wouldn't be good. I, I would
1: probably be like around 60, I would bet. Yeah. No, no way I'm touching yeah, 70, would, now that I think about it.
0: If I put everything I had on one throw and then knew my shoulder was going to hurt for the next six months, I could maybe hit 65 at this point, which is just so depressing. When you could throw pretty hard at some point in your life and now you can't throw at all, it's no fun.
1: You think out of a crow hop you don't think you could hit it?
0: Yeah, I mean, but that's not pitching. Still. I don't mean like the mini balls that that dude's throwing 107 <laughs> miles an hour. That doesn't count either. I mean a step, throw, pitch, whatever. Out of the stretch, out of the windup, out of the El Duque, whatever you want to do, however fast you think you can throw it.
1: Did you have a very pronounced windup? No, I threw <laughs> out of
0: the stretch because my windup, I was so erratic with it <laughs> that, to get me closer to the strike zone. It was to eliminate most of the movement, take one step in, come set, check the runner that you're never going to throw over because you have the John (laughs) Lester disease, and then fire it into the plate. Just hit that batter
1: right in the ribs. In on the hands. I wish we had some. you were an
0: inside ball hitter, you were going deep on me. Otherwise, I was hitting you or I was getting the inside corner of the plate.
2: I wish we had some video of Schaefer checking the runner. (laughs) Now that would be a gif. It was so bad. It was so bad. Quick peek. Yeah. And
0: then, if I did throw over, it'd be this big, long, pronounced step-off, real soft toss-over, baby the ball. Like, I wasn't trying to pick you anybody take off. take your
2: cap off, like, wipe your... Yeah.
0: I would get so mad when people would try to steal. That was such a basket case on the map. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, like, it was. I would go out there and basically just the biggest idiot on the field would be me on the pitchers, mound. The entire five innings that I would be in or whatever it was.
1: Anyways, nobody cares about this. No, you, going back, you, you've talked about your propensity for hitting batters as a pitcher. <laughs> Do you actually own the Columbus High School record for a well, career not, hit batsman?
0: It's not official, but there's no way I didn't hit the most people in a game. I hit three in an inning one time. I loaded the bases by hitting people
2: <laughs> facing
0: Omaha North mm. in 2006. And the, our, our coach at the time came out to the mound and gave me a very spirited discussion about how there was nobody warming up in the bullpen because this was a throwaway game in the middle of the week. He's like, and it's so. frickin' north. Get them out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs>
2: These guys have won three games this year. My
0: job to get out of that, <laughs> that inning that I had created for myself, so... I don't think the defense liked playing behind me because
1: (laughs) can't imagine why. It was strikeouts,
0: walks, hit batters, home runs. I mean, that's what there wasn't a whole lot of. uh, You're
1: a one man show. Yeah,
0: I mean, it was basically um, you know people talk about batting average on balls in play. I was pretty much a zero or a thousand. So
1: I feel like we've learned a lot here today.
0: Yeah, it was wild.
1: Should we talk snubs?
0: Well, the the women made it. They're a ten seed in the uh, Kansas City regional. And they play on Saturday, if you'd like to watch, against Arizona State. The men did not make it, nor were they one of the first 16 out from the the sound of things.
1: I mean, when you think about it, the entire schedule from like the middle of January was just pointless. Like, they didn't have a chance for a quad one win.
2: Yeah. That's why fans are so frustrated here. I like, totally understand it. I mean, you watch a team, you watch Nebraska basketball actually win games in the league consistently and go on a string, and, and it, like you say, it felt like it was for nothing now.
1: Like, as far as the NCAA selection committee is concerned, Nebraska basketball could have played athletes in action, Pella Windows, mm-hmm. in the middle of February, and it would have had the same effect on their NCAA tournament readiness. Is that fair?
2: Yeah, and it is fair. And what's funny is – well, what's funny is, I mean, I understand that you take the whole season into account, but it's just bizarre that you have Michigan and Nebraska. Nebraska actually finishes seeded above them in the Big Ten, and one team's a three seed in the NCAA and one's a five in the NIT.
1: Right. Yeah, it kind of felt for Tim Miles a little bit, like in that press conference because – you know what? What do you do? I mean, I, I, I don't know that he really thought that they were definitely in, as he was saying. Like, I think you have to politic a little bit, and you know, keep your guys interested when you haven't played a game in nine days. But um, I don't know. I mean, when you have the, the third best season record wise in program history, and you're on the road in the NIT, I mean, wh- what more can you do? And it, and it, I feel bad too because the the scheduling part of it, which we've talked about, like your your hands are tied to a point because you're locked into eighteen conference games. Next year it goes to twenty. You've got the ESPN tournament in Kansas City where you're you're locked in for four games. You've got the ACC, uh, Big Ten showdown, whatever. Um, you got Creighton, the Big East thing too, the Gabbat games.
0: Here's the thing, and I, I want to jump in on this. They didn't get any help from those either. You got Boston College and you got St. John's. Right. And and frankly, they haven't gotten much help whenever those games have come around. And I understand that you're trying to pair things off, but when the conference gives you no big games at home because of the way the season plays out, and then you get no games I mean, Nebraska was handed a schedule where they didn't have a ton of you know, they couldn't make a lot of movement. People talk about Marist all they want. That was a product of being invited to a tournament they had no business being in, in the first place. I mean, I'm talking Marist. Yeah. Uh, So, it it really felt like all these people are talking about Nebraska's schedule not being good enough. Then you turn around and you look at Florida State didn't play anybody. Their entire non-conference. They got fat off of the fact that the ACC was pretty average below Duke and Clemson and, and North Carolina. So, it's I just I don't know what Nebraska is supposed to do, and then I have a tin foil hat theory where it's if Nebraska and Penn State are in the middle of your conference standings wise, from the outside perception, it means your conference had a bad year instead of those are quality teams. Right.
1: Well, in, in Nebraska, Nebraska probably thought that Iowa was going to be better than they ended up being, which you know that was one potential good win that wasn't there. Wisconsin. Being terrible this year didn't help either. Minnesota-Northwestern
0: regressing from being um, tournament teams that each won a game, I think. Yeah,
1: like you would hope that at least a couple of those teams would at least be in the middle of the pack enough to help you RPI-wise, kind of like the Big 12 got. But, I mean, if if you're Nebraska, you, you basically had four games that you could control in December. Um you know, Delaware State goes goes 0-31. North Dakota takes a huge step back from being a tournament team. Eastern Illinois, Illinois loses three or four guys off their roster to injury, and they're terrible. Um, you know, it's it's just – there's only kind of intent, I think, has to matter more than just saying that, you know, quad one wins is is the big piece that they're going to look at.
0: Why are we judging teams off of meaningless – I mean – does it matter that Delaware State's worse than Coppin State by right. 100 points in the RPI if both are a 99% win probability? I mean, that doesn't matter. Right. Like, why why are you awarding teams for that? And then if you're talking about overall play, Oklahoma's getting in the tournament when they lost games by 30, 23 points, and we're talking as recently as a month ago that this was happening. Mm-hmm. And now they're, they were safely in the field. Same with Alabama, same with Texas. Just – teams that were terrible for large stretches of the year were safely in the field. And I don't even think Nebraska is the biggest snub. No. I mean, I think USC, Middle Tennessee State, they have some real arguments to be made for the likes of those teams versus Alabama, Oklahoma, Texas. I think Syracuse didn't really belong. Well, Syracuse does its
1: annual back into the tournament somehow. Jim Boeheim twists arms and
0: threatens to reveal where bodies are buried.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so just – I mean, it was just uh... – a. It's kind of an all-around bad Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> and then you find
2: out you're going to Starkville, Mississippi. Yeah. And, and its
1: <laughs> I mean, I do you guys think Nebraska's team is going to be up for this game? Like, I, I have serious mm-hmm. doubts about how dialed in they're going to be for it. I mean, you're, you're facing a team that you already beat in an exhibition game. You're not getting a home game. Cowbells. All the cowbells you could ever want to listen to are going to be in Starkville that night. They you only lost
0: two games there. You haven't I mean, pl- not counting the, the exhibition game to Nebraska yeah,
1: You haven't played a game in 12 days. You've mm-hmm. played three games in three weeks. I mean, it's it feels like, I mean, the rhythm to the season is completely gone.
0: Mm-hmm. I had thought that when they lost to Michigan and that they were going to get a home game, I had thought whoever was going to play them was just going to get a real ready-to-go Nebraska team that was going to feed off of a crowd that was going to push them. Now it's, it's kind of as you've. Phrased it, I'm somewhat dubious Nebraska is going to have the motivation. I mean, they should, right? At the same time, it kind of goes the other way. Well, if everybody has just decided they're not very good, then why don't they just pack it up and go home, kind of
1: thing? I think the big key for them is basically just how red ass can they get? I mean, are they going to be pissed about the snub? Like, I feel like those guys play well when they have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. I think James Mm -hmm. Palmer is a guy that just kind of
2: feeds off of that kind of thing but you know do they care yeah you have to convince yourself the nit is not an afterthought tournament which to the general public it is that's just the bottom line Mm -hmm. and you've got to somehow and i think it like if you can i always thought like if you can win that first game in the nit then what happens is the ncaa tournament goes on throughout the weekend. teams get eliminated there's only 16 left suddenly the next week you're still playing basketball and i know you'd rather have been in the big dance but everybody a lot of other teams are out that got in and so suddenly you kind of see like okay this there this tournament means something to us but winning that first game that's why i thought getting that game at home was such a big deal so you have that advantage in your first game to get that win out of the way and then you start to pick up momentum about caring about the tournament. Honestly, yeah.
1: Well, and I mean now with the way it shapes up, I mean you, you go to Starkville, you win, and I mean you you got a matchup with Baylor on the road, who's hmm. you know I think a pretty bad matchup for Nebraska, but
2: it's yeah, and 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 people now are I mean if you lose Wednesday, I guess fair is fair, but they're gonna say, well, I mean, see, this is this is a team you were all vouching for, you know? Right. And I, I don't think that's completely fair either because it should have been a team that had, like, a, at least a two-seed or three-seed at home in the NIT, and that's a big difference when you have that home court. And I just don't get it. I understand that um, they try to just do it by seeding, but you would think they would factor in, like, a team like Nebraska, like, put them at home. Figure out a way to put them at home so they – you have that environment on TV, at least, for this tournament if someone's flipping their, through their channels.
1: Should we end with some breaking news?
2: Yes. You saw
1: what my hand went in the air, I take it? I, uh, the stats department was watching the the feed here. What's the breaking news, Mike?
0: It uh, appears that Kirk Cousins will be signing a three-year, fully guaranteed $84 million deal with one Minnesota Vikings. So.
1: How excited are you guys right now? Look at, look at BC over there. There's a smile on BC's yeah. face. It's... Doesn't come around very often. He's <laughs> a pretty reserved individual, unless
0: he's playing soccer and throwing it at Millard North. Are you
1: going to uh, throw, throw down a big bet on the Vikings for the Super Bowl in Vegas this week? I wanted this Vegas to this wait
0: until I could get there and get better odds, but their odds are going to go up now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I did last year. I'll do another one this year. I'll put some money on the Indians, even though they won't win it. Yeah. I just like giving money to Vegas, basically, (laughs) is what this comes down to.
1: You like bigger and better casinos. Yep.
0: (laughs) Taking care of those free drinks that I get to make up for the uh, investments I make into their futures. It's nice of you. Well, anything we we need to add? I think we're good. Any futures bets I should make when I'm gone here over the next week? Uh, I don't
1: think so. Nothing?
2: Mm. No, I got nothing. Sorry.
0: All right. Well, uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast. We'll have plenty to talk from. I mean, you guys are going to be busy. I won't have anything to do over the next few days, which is nice. So. I look forward to Vegas and spring training stories, though. Oh, they'll they'll be good. They'll be good, I'm sure. So, All right, well, we'll catch you next week in the Nebraska 24-7 podcast.